have you all back at the Wharton FinTech Podcast. My name is Ola Williams. New face, let me help you get familiar. I am a PhD student, not an MBA student at the Wharton School in the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. I'm studying ethics, politics, and public policy. This is going to make a little bit more sense when I get into my background. I am coming from D.C., where I worked at the House Financial Services Committee for the first African-American and first woman to chair the committee, Maxine Waters. And then I went to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors to work for the first woman chair of the board, Janet Yellen. After that, I went to Yale School of Management, where I studied systemic risk and financial crisis. After that, did a few years stint in corporate finance and then had been working in fintech policy at Block, formerly Square, ever since. And so I am delighted to have this opportunity to talk with you all about finance, fintech and everything in between. But before we get into that, I'm going to introduce our special guest for Black History Month, Professor Chris Brummer out of Georgetown Law. It's really hard to know where to start when introducing Professor Brummer because he does such an incredible amount of work. But since this is a fintech podcast, it might make sense that some of you all know him from his Fintech Beat podcast, which is a fintech policy podcast, and perhaps my bias, one of the most famous ones in the D.C. area, if not the country. You also might know him from a lot of his other roles. He's on the board of Fannie Mae. He's on the board of K2 Integrity. He's on the board of Public.com, the social investing app. And he's also a scholar in residence at Paradigm, the $2 billion crypto fund. In today's episode, we will talk with Professor Brummer about his career trajectory and interests, where I find fascinating hip-hop, fintech, cryptocurrency, economic and financial inclusion, as well as the regulatory and policy environment. This is going to give us a chance here at Wharton Fintech Podcast to do a Black History Month special with a Black history maker. For some context, some of you might not know, this is a month-long Black History Month celebration in the States, and it was started by the great historian Carter G. Woodson and dates back to 1926. It highlighted some of the forgotten contributions of African-Americans. And so we are going to want to tap into that for our Black History Month episode. Thanks again for joining us. Professor Brummer, thank you for being here. I am delighted to have you. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, especially on your maiden voyage as a podcast host. Thank you very much. I I don't know how I'm going to do, so you're going to have to really uh, help me through because I know you're a vet. Um, So, As we get started, like for exemplars like you, I always have to know and I always have to ask how you got where you are. Like Your career is absolutely fascinating. You internationally and domestically, you're talking to everyone, heads of the IMF, World Bank, and then the finance ministers, secretary of Treasury State, X, Y, and Z, you name it. That's what you do. So I want you to provide a little bit of a a career overview for people like me. Like, how did you get there so that if I want to get there too, I can have a little blueprint. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think about how I spend my days uh, nowadays and, and, you know, sort of talking to shadowy coders and then shadowy regulators and uh, very, very public intellectuals on all these kinds of matters of, of financial technology. But, you know, really when I, when I think back, my sort of, origin story starts in international diplomacy. You know, I was always very interested in diplomacy and being a diplomat. And, uh, you know, for me, my entry into that, you know, into sort of negotiations, I always thought about like cross-border sort of negotiations on financial and economic issues. 
you know, my, my entry point was in the world of international financial regulation. And uh, back in uh, 2008, I was on, on loan to the SEC. You know, uh, I thought it was going to be a pretty peaceful, kind of easy uh, sort of uh, visit. Uh, I was at that right. point in time <laughs> Vanderbilt. And then, you know, the, the bottom fell out of the markets. And, right. uh, you know, that, that little tour there, and I was in the Office of International Affairs over at the SEC, really turned into what was this pivotal experience of seeing how international economic and financial regulatory diplomacy is conducted. And what I saw there was super interesting because what Uh what I saw when I was there was that people didn't use treaties and like formal legal uh, obligations when they were trying to figure out how markets worked across borders. And you had all these institutions and, and they weren't, they weren't the UN, they were things like, you know, the Financial Stability Board and they were all these kind of things. And and it was really, really interesting that that particular tool set and then I noticed later, as I immediately shifted into sort of next generation issues, that that tool set of non-binding best practices sort of guesses would mm-hmm. be a tool set that everyone uses all across financial technology. And that's right. kind of how then my career took that shift into the uh, fintech and, and the crypto space. So you were at the SEC in the, during the 2008 financial crisis. I didn't know that. That's actually fascinating. Look at that. Yeah, you know, it was like, yeah, that was one of those nooks and crannies in the, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, you know, it was, it was amazing, right? Uh, Because it it went from, you know, a very quiet kind of period where I thought I was going to be as a professor, it was right before I was, you know, going up for tenure and everything, kind of putting in Mm -hmm. some hardcore research, but instead there are all these issues that were floating around, some with, with uh, financial uh, technology related issues and people, and it was all hands on deck. And and it was a little nice. bit like, hey, you over there, can can, right. can you help us? Out? And I. Uh, so you know, let me ask, how did you go from there to Georgetown Law? Because I know you as the Georgetown Law professor in DC. <laughs> right. Well, you know, so spending that time over at the SEC. So the SEC is is only I don't know maybe a ten or fifteen minute walk from Georgetown's law school. So a lot of people right. think that Georgetown is is physically located in Georgetown, but but the law school is actually located right by Capitol Hill, right by the SEC. And I just thought, well, okay, you know, I, I learned a lot and I wanted to have an outpost to kind of learn a little bit more about finance and financial markets and really, really like the, let's, let's call it political science and the political economy behind the rules for mm. finance, right? Right, and, right. Um, you know, at that point in time, we're talking again, you know, seminal year, 2008. That's kind of important for a number of things, even mm-hmm. for the people who are interested in crypto. But, you know, at that point in time, the, the focus was banks, bank infrastructure, the electronics trading and electronic uh, infrastructure for derivatives, all these kinds of mm-hmm. you know, things, Dot Frank and like, right? And what happened as I saw how regulators were trying to figure out how do you deal with these things? How do you regulate problems and in infrastructures? where the target of regulation is always evolving. You know, like, how do you issue a rule or how do you create a framework where you're trying to regulate a moving target and where the tools for thinking about and for regulating things take a long time, you know, you know, we, right. you know to, to issue a rule. There's an entire process you have to go through. So how do you make sure that the administrative structures, the administrative state can kind of keep track with innovation? 
Right. right. And this is and, this is exactly why we have you on. I'm so I'm so glad for this because we don't I don't think at Wharton FinTech we actually get a lot of this framework. A lot of people don't get this framework. We just hear from the practitioners. So that so this is going to be fantastic. So shifting, not really shifting, but segueing, you know, lately you focus on a lot of fintech and financial inclusion with board seats at different companies. So I want you to just talk us through that. You get you gave a great keynote last year at the SEC related to this. So how do you think about leaning in and, you know, given your career arc? So, you know, you know, financial technology is super interesting. For number, number one, because, you know, getting back to the earlier sort of statement, it's always evolving, always changing, right. you know, for someone who's a, a nerd like me and probably like a lot of people listening, it rewards mm-hmm. people who are willing to put their time into figuring out the details. Right. And, you know, o- over time, you know, one of the things that I, I became very familiar with and, and, and what I became to, to really appreciate is that financial technology has a potential to really move the dial in, in, in some important ways. Uh, you know, there's a reason why they call it innovation. And, and, and there are certain kinds of things you can do with it to really make people's lives better and, and to do so in ways that haven't really been possible. So when you think about mm. digital economy, digital transformation and, and the like, and I'm an old man now, right? So I've, I've reached a stage in life where I recognize that how a lot of people build better economic lives is, is, is through building some form of wealth. And, and for the Absolutely. average person, for the average person, you know, there are basically two ways to build wealth. There's generally, you know, you, you own your house and you build equity and then you participate in the economy. And the way in which we, we call that participation for the most part is called, you know, owning financial assets, owning stock, right? You know, you, you own shares in the economy uh, or, or, or in companies that are operating in the economy. And as they grow, then, then your own wealth grows. And if, if you, if people can't sort of, you know, think about the owning a house as that bottom rung and then owning financial assets as the higher rungs, right? And so you, you climb the rungs of, of the ladder by accumulating financial assets. If people don't have the tools to do that safely and to be even onboarded into the system where they can do that, you, you're going to have, uh, you know, more of the problems that you hear about every day. Right. Uh, you talk about the, the wealth gap, um, the income gap, uh, racial and otherwise, you know, you have to figure out a way as to how you can onboard people such that they have a stake in the economy. And I, and I thought that financial technology was, was really an important way to do that. You, you, you mentioned the, the, the different board seats and all. Like I, I went through all that to kind of give you an idea as to how you know, I was mapping out and how I've mapped mm-hmm. out a lot of my, my free time to the extent that I have it. And <laughs> you know, so you know, I'm on the board of Fannie Mae, and Fannie Mae yep. is really you know, backing the U.S. housing industry, you know, $4 trillion balance sheet. And, you know, there I work on technology issues. It does amazing things like, you know, how can we use different kinds and sources of credit uh, to open up the credit box for people? So instead of just using FICO, you know, looking at things like rental data so Mm. that people can begin to generate data where people can identify them as worthy credit risk. Um, That's big. Yeah. Big, 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 big for people of color, for everyone in the world. You know, and so that was like sort of like one chunk of of of, of my mindset, right? And then there's K2 right. Integrity, you know, premier consulting firm founded by Jeremy Kroll, his dad, 
Jules Kroll. I mean, this guy is the guy who quite literally invented the modern investigation company. And wow. they're really big into regulatory issues, cybersecurity, crypto, ESG. So it's my opportunity to continue to learn from some of the best, right? How do you climb that ladder? Financial assets, right? So I'm on the board of public.com. It's an mm. amazing, like this, this, this app, right? And I'll try to just make it really simple. An app where there's the social layer where people can talk to one another about their own journey into investing while they mm-hmm. can also sort of access investments. And why I like that is because when you look at the chronic underinvestment of women of color, uh, sorry, women and people of color, blacks and Latinos, a lot of times it's because people just feel a little bit frightened about investing. It's kind of foreign right. and, 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 and so how create a, a structure Sometimes it's because people just frankly feel very disrespected. You know, when they walk into the office of an investment advisor or something, they feel like they're being disrespected because they, that person may assume that they don't have any assets or they they may not be worth their time. Um, right. But, you know, can technology kind of speak to that? And then finally, you know, getting to the sort of real frontier is some of the work over, over at Paradigm. You know, right. really interesting kinds of issues, looking at crypto, thinking about the regulatory questions and the issues uh, in the space. You are doing so much and an incredible amount and such good work that I am just delighted that you had the time for Wharton Fintech. So big <laughs> shout out to you for doing this for us during Black History Month. Oh, man, I, 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 look, if Ola gives you a call, man, you're not going to miss, uh, and <laughs> right. frankly, you know, you're not going to miss the Wharton uh, Fintech podcast. So it's really right. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I do want to drill down a little bit on how you feel and think about fintech overall, right? One On one hand, what are and should regulators be looking at it? You did touch about it uh, a bit with onboarding, but how is it also helping the economic and financial inclusion debate, if you think it is? Well, you know, I guess, you know, just sort of to take a, a quick step back, you know, is how one should even think about the current status of the debate or even there's just, just the conversation about financial technology. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's a little bit fraught, um, even mm. here in our nation's capital. I know that must seem impossible to believe that, <laughs> that uh, our dialogue here can, can ever break down. But, you know, people tend to sort of migrate sometimes, you know, to very, um, very sort of extreme positions, right? You know, where you have some people who are intentionally oblivious to the risks mm-hmm. of technology, and then you have people who are equally intentionally oblivious to its uh, potential, right? And and when you have that kind of sort of playing field for the marketplace of ideas, that can make getting good ideas to market, you know, in the form of policy, a little bit challenging, right? Because you, you really have to, on the one hand, you, you want to meet people where they are, but you mm-hmm. also want to be as as rigorous and thoughtful as as possible. And that's and that's not always the case. I, I think that where you can often get consensus is frankly through sort of concrete use cases. And I say that be, because financial technology can be uh, pretty complex. Not everybody is as nerdy as we are and as all of our, right. you know, maybe many of the listeners, you know, to sit through and think about the details of financial instruments and technology and the like. So if you can sort of create or, or, or demonstrate very concrete use cases, you can you can get somewhere. And, and the example that I use is I have this uh, big conference um, every year called DC Fintech Week, and we get all, all of the huge, world. Huge, 
Cute. We're not gonna just we're not gonna just walk over that. We're not gonna we're not gonna gloss over that. DC FinTech Conference is the premier FinTech conference in DC. All right. So DC FinTechWeek.org, but it's a free conference. I mean it was there always we go. Built, it, it was always built off of this idea of like honestly just making ideas and information free to the public about um, policy issues for financial technology, and it's probably the biggest of its kind focused on policy uh, in in the world. And I always try to focus one day on financial inclusion. And for that concrete use case, we looked at minority depository institutions and uh, community banks, rural banks. Right. And to sort of say, okay, uh, small banks, minority banks, black and brown banks, they're having these problems um, uh, in a digital economy. Now, a lot of the standard policy sort of like the policy recipe for speaking to their challenges is to recapitalize many of those smaller institutions that are really anchors to their local communities. But what we were, you know, we had an entire work stream with like all the, you know, uh, big, uh, uh, I mean, we had like PayPal and Visa and, and, you know, we had like uh, K2 was involved. I mean, we had all these very great huge players, right? I mean, like huge, 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 huge players. And they were all thinking about, well, what does the technology, you know, plaid, you know, like what does the technology stack look like and how can technology help those institutions scale? Because they're still financial institutions, because even if you recapitalize them, if some of them are still using paper based processes, they're going to be right back asking for more assistance in two or three years. So, So part of the conversation has to be how do you make them more competitive and able to serve their communities more effectively. And, you know, and so we brainstormed a bunch of fintech solutions in, in a very, very concrete way. And that's to, to sort of demonstrate that the technology can be, frankly, a, a critical piece to the success of very important financial institutions, especially in a world where, you know, the economy has gone digital, right? right. So that's why you need to think about things like open banking, machine learning, big data, possibly blockchain-oriented solutions so that those institutions can be more competitive and so that they, like any other normal institution, can adapt, can thrive, and can scale. And and that capital, though necessary, is only one part of the solution, right? It's not the whole thing. This is why I had to have you on, and you had to be my first guest. Because this concept, this idea is just incredibly important. And I don't think anyone, you know, not many people hear this conversation going on in fintech and so having it especially during black history month where we can amplify this show is going to be i think crucial for our audience so we've talked about the customer and financial and economic inclusion there i kind of want to switch to something that is near and dear to both of us and that's the investor piece of this and how that ties into culture so we aren't just consumers and of this fintech of this technology but we're also investors in it Nas, investor in Coinbase, Jay-Z, Snoop Dogg, investors in Robinhood. And so I want to hear a few things. The first thing is, before we get into the nitty gritty, the nerdy, you know, fintech stuff, I need to know your top five hip hop artists right now. We could, we, we could, I'll, I'll save you for the right now and not no, do it no, no, all. First of all, first of all, first of all, first of all, this is, uh, you know, you know, I, I can see that you were throwing, you know, the easy questions first, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, how, you know, should we leverage open banking or something right. to say, you know, community banks? Like, that's the easy stuff. So you're going to ask me about the top five hip hop. The yes. top 
five hip hop artists of, of all time. All right. So, yeah. so first of all, you know, so for all of you millennials and, and, and <laughs> Gen Zers, everything, you know, like, look, I am still, you know, the list is changes with time. You know, who knows? Maybe one day Corday, you know, maybe, maybe Griselda, mm. you know, you don't know who's going to be on that list, you know, one right. day. All right. Right. But like, right now, if you're going to talk about like who's on Mount Olympus, I mean, you, you already mm. mentioned some of the names, right? I mean, you got Nas, right. obviously you got Jay-Z. Right. did understand that's a hard knock life you got black star you know which i will yes it's a group oh, uh, but but that's the way i can at least you know sneak in two into, yep. uh, in, into one and then you have the roots so uh so hey philly favorite you know uh, right. if, the wharton crowd cannot right. dispute me on the roots but they I won't <laughs> and they won't you know so, so i think <laughs> that that would be right now i think i think you know those are the let's uh-huh. call them the five entities you know, yeah. that uh, sort of, for me, are the best of all time. I love it. I love it. We're obviously going to, we're going to go back to this in a little bit, but I I really did bring that up because we are investors in the fintech community, in the fintech space. And I want to know what and why there's, why you think there's such a strong connection with rap and fintech. You know what it is? You know, I, I so that's a really interesting question, right? You know, so, so the, the, and, and you know what? On, on my podcast on fintech beat, we actually had an, an entire episode on trying to think through why is it that rappers like uh, you know you know you know I'm going to have to rip up the, the script again. You can't. We're not going to gloss. Over, we're not going to gloss over your podcast, the fintech policy podcast. Um, yeah. Well, well, you know, well, well, you know, like, like that, that's a funny you know idea because like it, it's associated with the media um, company Roll Call, and they first said you know because it's a very hard news. Entity and the, you know they approached me and they were like oh yeah you know just like journalists on you know on the beat you know you know we just want to be on that beat of, of fintech right. it's like well I want to be on the beat too but it's gonna be on a different kind of beat. so you know <laughs> right sucking all this hip hop into the um, you know in, in, into the show you know this is this is how you know this is how you are subversive and, right. and uh, so for, for for our listeners real quick just talk about fintech beat podcast a little bit you know I mentioned it in my intro but I mean this is how I really got to know you um, before we you know we started to connect um, a year ago so please just just a little yeah bit. yeah you know what you know what. What I thought about, you know, when, when starting the, the 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 podcast was to have a conversation on in, in ways that you don't normally hear. So on the one hand, if you can think of like NPR for fintech, so you know, I'm a professor. I like to kind of break things down into right. nuggets that people that everyday people can understand, even if it's pretty complex. So it's kind of like an NPR for fintech, and then like on a uh, hip hop and R and B tip, right? So it's like you know, right. we, we 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 throw in kinds of concepts. Um, People sometimes, uh, you know, it's a very nerdy podcast, but also one that really has everybody on. So we've had like broadcasts with the head of, you know, China's efforts to to launch a digital yuan, all the way down mm-hmm. to Maxine Waters, all the way down yep. to like, this one episode to go through like why rappers like crypto, right? And, and to right. really talk about the policy choices because you know, going back to two thousand eight, all that regulatory stuff that I did back in 2008, back then, it was all considered back office stuff, stuff that you do to prevent financial crises in the, in the future. That same stuff is now front office stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's something mm-hmm. to define and to predict where the regulatory curve is going, what the shape of markets are going to look like, what they should look like. 
And I think that the public should have the opportunity to be very involved in those kinds of conversations. Right. So, you know, getting to your question, I was like, well, you know, why, why rap and, and fintech? You know, I, I think that what they, and I, this was in this episode, and I think it was a really good observ- observation, was what they have in common is a mistrust of the system, right? Mm. Uh, you know, they, they, they sympathize with the reality of that, that sometimes both markets and government can both, uh, you know, fail people. And, and so it's a kind of both are, you know, have in their DNA a little bit of certainly pluck, you know, and, and right. they have um, this interest in, in disrupting established um, systems. And I, I don't think that they have it just for the sake of doing it, but there is a certain mm-hmm. kind of delight in it, right? And I yes. think that both are married to this idea of, of, of climbing a ladder of, of success, Right. Right. Of understanding people who are on the margins. I mean, when you think about what financial technology in theory strives to do, right, by by creating uh, network economies, by by building um, companies on top of platforms, they create economies of scale. But those same kinds of economies of scale means that they can go deeper and broader to a wider set of people than other kinds of business models that aren't arranged that way. So because, it, you know, their incremental cost of onboarding someone is, is very, very low, you know, they have the possibility of, of reaching a greater number of people. And then when you throw on top of that concepts, you know, more recent ideas like decentralization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of appeals, I think, to a lot of rappers, you know? I mean, and of fight course- Fight the power. Fight the power. And, and, and when you get to this, 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 this last little bit, you know, when you get to fintech becoming crypto, becoming this conversation about what is money, right? I mean, that's ultimately what crypto comes down to. It's like literally, you know, money at one point in time was like gold. Well, exactly. Nice. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> hold up your book of, of money. It's like, you know, was, is it gold? Is it silver? Is it a piece of paper and a banknote? Or is it code? Right. Mm. And when you get into that kind of a conversation, look, if there's one thing that rap understands is money. Right. And I think that there's a, like a, a natural Look, affinity to that conversation. We can just stop right now. Like you're, you're, you're on a high, you're going, you're going higher and we just need to stop <laughs> on our highest point. But this is very, this is important. And, and it's, it's so important for black history because we're going to talk about crypto next. And you've already started that conversation, disrupting, fighting the power, you know, changing the narrative. It's in the DNA of rap and our culture just as much as it is in crypto. And so to see the two come together makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, and, and this is something I, I try to explain, you know, getting back to your earlier conversation in, in terms of, um, you know, the conversation in Washington, D.C. And one of the one of the conversations that I, I, I have with uh, my friends all the time is that, you know, just like anything in life, your perspective about something depends on, your life experience and and how you've encountered or you know not just the product but also right. the problem that mm. the product or service is trying to solve and so i tell people all the time it's like you know a lot of people you know would say things you know this is you know it's really dating me it's like shortly after law school you know uber comes out and you know when you talk about uber and the app you know a lot of people would say hey you know it's 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 destroying jobs it's it's destroying you know, workers and, and, and rights and all. But, you know, I'm in New York and I'm saying, well, you know, that may be, but for the first time I can get a cab to Harlem, right? Like, like for the first time now, 
you know, instead of the medallion cabs that would mm. never me up, right? Speak on it. You know, for the first time, I can actually get to Harlem. I can literally right. move through space and time now in a way that I couldn't do before. So right. although I may be sympathetic to the criticisms or to the trade-offs involved in the app, if you're going to sort of present your, your you know, moral disgust, I have to ask you, you know, number one, where were you for the last, you know, literally since the 60s when the medallion cabs, w- you know, weren't picking up black people and Latinos. Right. And then number two, if you have a better alternative, what, you know, talk about the mistrust of the system, how can I trust that you are going to understand that, you know, black and brown people are, are using this app for a reason. They're not, right. they're not, they're not dumb. They, it's not that they don't understand what they're doing. Right. They're using it for a reason. And like, right. do you understand not just the app, but do you understand the motivations driving people in terms of their interaction with that technology? And I think that that's really important. I think it's, it's hugely important on the FinTech side because it's important in terms of, do you have minorities, you know, with people with different experiences in VC to be able to fund mm-hmm. those products, profitable products in ways that will service those communities that have been underserved? And then do you have the regulators in place who have the life experience and the common sense right. to understand <laughs> what is happening in the real world and how their policy suggestions are right. going to impact them, right? Do you and have... You know, the experience, the diversity of experience so that you are actually going to be rigorous in right. your policymaking. So that's and that's obviously where we want to go. And you and you and you beat me to it. The oversight and regulation that has been discussed for months now, several months now um, on the Hill, in the White House, just all over D.C. is how to regulate crypto because of consumer investor protection. But at the same time, there needs to be a balance with innovation and the opportunity it provides our communities. So I want to ask you, how do you do it? How do you strike that balance? Like, what would you say to the regulators that are trying to regulate crypto um, and the fintech space and how to balance that innovation for, you know, inclusivity to a group that just hasn't been able to find that in the, in, in, in the system? So huge, huge, huge questions. And, um, you know, you know, and, and has lots of different parts because when you get into something like crypto, it touches on lots of very disparate parts of the regulatory ecosystem. So one of the big mm-hmm. ironies is that the only thing that may be as decentralized at times as as blockchain, as the blockchain or blockchains or public blockchains is our government, <laughs> especially when it comes to the financial regulatory agencies. There are lots of them and they have different sort of uh, fingers in different parts of the of, of the system. You know, mm-hmm. I think number one, information is key. You know, policymakers have to understand what they're regulating, just like anybody else. You know, just just like market participants, you know, there's a certain amount of work that has to be done to just get a grasp of the basic concepts, you know, before you start to write policies. And then once you do that, you know, I think that some of the principles of sound regulation says, well, especially if it's always moving, you have to develop a framework in which your regulation doesn't become outdated within mm. six months of you issuing the rule. You can't invest two to three years into a regulatory work stream just such that six months after it's finally debated and there's drama and, you know, hurt feelings by different regulators and policymakers. And then in six months after it's been issued, people have worked around it or it's just it's just obsolete because the, right. the, the technology has, has, has moved on. And I think part of that 
involves thinking through seriously how and in what way you engage uh, market participants, because ultimately they're on the front lines and they're always going to be a little bit faster. Now, I've written in some of my scholarship, you know, about uh, piloting projects and like, you know, how government itself can experiment. This gets back to the original remarks, you know, the soft law, informal standards, best practices, you know, what are the kinds of things that governments can do to experiment with uh, new technologies, including crypto. And, you know, I think that uh, what I'm working on now is how can you develop compliant solutions Mm-hmm. In a way, you know, I'm have that may be native to the infrastructure that you're talking about. I, I think I think that, that that's important because you know. So I'm working on this big project on um, DeFi and and DApps, decentralized uh, applications, and disclosure. And mm-hmm. and there, you know, when you think about tools, you know, w- there's this developer ecosystem with people who are really smart and energetic and always innovating. How can you bring that energy and harness that energy in a way so that you can challenge them to not only work within the regulatory system, but to frankly build on it and in some instances even improve it, right? Right. And I, and I think that that's you know, going to have to be an essential element of how you look at some of these infrastructures, especially since there is a disintermediation of of gatekeepers, right? You know, like a lot of the DeFi stuff is, you know, the, the, the major nodal points that financial regulators have depended on in order to sort of exert their authority aren't right. necessarily in the picture. So if that's the case, you have to think a little bit broader and you think about, you know, the software engineers and the coders and the others, you know, to try to, the founders, to try to think through, well, we have our standards and we have expectations. We should always keep our expectations, but how can we also harness that innovative energy in ways to help us further our mandate and to make sure that the regulatory infrastructure evolves alongside with the technology? A hundred percent. So going there, I'm going to continue this line of questioning. And this is probably the, the real tough one, right? How are crypto and DeFi actually making it less expensive to be poor, right? How is it helping expand access to credit? So, you know, one of the issues that I'm trying to explore is, 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 is just that. So there is like the, the traditional kind of story, and I'll, I'll use one from my own life. So during, uh, so uh, right in between the New Year's and Christmas, I had to actually like wire some money. And, you know, uh, I, I live in, um, in DC, but I'm walking distance from Silver Spring. So, there you we know, go. Yeah, you know, predominantly, <laughs> predominantly Latino, black area, you know, lots of immigrants and like, right. And I went to a bank. I won't say the name of the bank, but I went uh-huh. to the bank and, and, and literally I go in and there was no one in the bank to help me to wire the money. And, and, and they have effectively said, you know, go to the white neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> to, right. go and, to, to go wire it. So I hop in my car and, and I head out 20 minutes to Maryland. All right. Yeah. And I go there and then I wire my money. My, I wire my money and then I'm charged $40. Right. And then I'm looking and I'm saying to myself, look, all right. And this is, you know, again, this is the kind of Dang. life experience, right? This is the kind of right. life experience that when I, you know, it's, it's, it's Uber all over again. Right. Yeah. But then people will go and they'll say, well, you know, Chris, this is, and I'm like, look, man, 
can't even move my I can't even move money. And, you know, and I'm a fortunate person. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Georgetown law professor. I mean, I, I live in right. a black area, you know, predominantly black area. But, you know, like like there are a lot of people who can't afford that. Right. And that's and that's just the crypto conversation. But you can get into all kinds of things. I, I I'm giving the keynote speech to to Finson, you know, the, the, the financial crime fighters. Right. And and part yeah. of that conversation is like, you know, how do you use the same technology that's used? to identify people as bad, can you repurpose or double purpose that same technology to identify people as good? So in other mm. words, whitelist them so that it's cheaper for them to Strong. access services, right. right? You know, but, but, but like these kinds of questions have to be asked and they're not always asked and there aren't always incentives to, for people to ask them. That's why like we the, have you. Well, it's like, just like in the, <laughs> in the private sector, you know, there aren't always, well, there aren't always those incentives in the public sector right. either, right? Right, and so, right. you know, the, the, the crypto conversation right now, and it's, it's still very early days. And frankly, there haven't been until now. And, and now you're seeing, frankly, lots of people of color entering into the crypto space, really bearing down on that question. But, you know, the, the T1 conversation was on remittances, which is huge, right? You know, moving mm-hmm. money internationally, mm-hmm. the high cost, you know. And now it's starting to get into the questions of, of, of financial services. Like, are there ways to conduct financial services that are much cheaper and or faster that can still be safe. And that question is still out, but frankly, there hasn't been very much attention focused and directed to it. But there will be. And and one of the things that I think most people uh, sort of forget is, is that, you know, when there is intentionality directed towards these kinds of issues, you can get some really interesting answers. So a lot of the attention, and there's been a lot of sort of data published about how, you know, in terms of owners of Bitcoin, blacks and Latinos own, are much more likely to own more cryptocurrency than their white counterparts. You know, you know, that, that conversation is actually quite distinct from the use cases part. Although even that kind of investment question is a fascinating and important question. And I think, you know, sometimes I read these op-eds and, and, and frankly, by, by people who are, who frankly assume that they that a lot of us have absolutely no idea as to what they're trying to to do and and, and it's a kind of a, of a paternalism that I think if if it's not if people are not self aware it actually ends up exacerbating the racial wealth and income gap you know because a lot of you know because a lot of people are, are 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 they're not dumb a lot of people are trying to own different kinds of and I'll just stick with crypto since we're we're in the crypto conversation you know there are a lot of middle class moms in Atlanta in Detroit and New York who said to themselves, you know what? Those guys over in Silicon Valley out in the West coast were able to create empires off of new technology. I don't want my child to be unprepared for that. So, Hey, you know what? Just for kicks and giggles, I'll get involved in this because I want my children to understand new technologies. Who knows if it'll do well or not, but I want them to have that exposure. I mean, like these are kind of conversations that like, frankly, a lot of people have no idea go on in lots of black families, you know, and, and, and they assume from a behavior without, because too often we talk at people and not with people. They're assuming from the behavior that it's, oh, it's just all rampant speculation and people don't, aren't considering or aren't thinking through their, their, their decisions. And then sometimes people really are trying to make money. Then you need right. to ask yourself, why is it that they find that particular asset or crypto assets or Bitcoin or whatever it is, you know, why, or, or, or real estate or house flipping or whatever it is, why are people doing that? 
Well, right. maybe it's not necessarily irrational, depending on people say, well, Bitcoin lost 50%. Yeah, well, if you invested in Bitcoin five years ago, you're, you're doing pretty well. So, you know, it depends. But maybe people are doing it because they think that, again, the mistrust of the system, that the traditional routes through which people have been able to invest haven't necessarily been trustworthy, right? And, and, maybe, and maybe they think that, okay, you know, I would try to invest in the stock market, but other people, you know, that can always be either either gamed or the access, my ability to access information about that market Absolutely. is always yes. compromised. Or I have to walk yes. into the office, being back to my days over at public, you know, or I have to walk into the office of someone who's just looking down at me. Right. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I don't feel like that. I don't, right. I don't feel like being disrespectful. I mean, there, there are all kinds of different kinds of reasons. But if regulators and, frankly, the crypto industry don't take mm. the time to kind of understand their stakeholders, all of them, right? Then, as I've, I've written before, you know, uh, you, know, we, you know, financial technology will be doomed to repeat mistakes and the very mistakes that, that matter the most yeah. for, for, for other people, you know? And, very and well, I, yeah. That, that we really have to avoid that. Very well said. Absolutely. And that's like, I mean, I can't ask for more in an answer on Black History Month than the one you just gave. Uh, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time and I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching the clock and I'm like, ah, uh, well, but I have to ask you. Yeah, but you know, you know, Black History Month, as I was, you know, and I'm, t- you know, as I tell my, my, my friends over at, uh, over at, for my Finson talk, you know, Black History is the art of making the unseen seen, right? Mm. And I think that a lot of people, even in the financial technology space and innovators, should be able to identify with that. Yeah. Right. And making and, you know, the unseen scene. That's big. Unseen, that's a bar. That's a bar. It's the art of the making. <laughs> uh, it's the art of making the the unseen scene. You know. Wow. And, and 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 when you can start to think more deeply and to practice and to move those muscles in your head, you start to understand the world differently. You you, you start to understand that everybody has something to contribute, and you in turn become better and you become right. smarter, you know? Right. And, and so, you know, uh, black history month is important. It's important, not just to black people, but it's, 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 it's important to everybody. Right. So the way I'm going to end this then is that we're going to go back to the barbershop talk. All right. So we, all right. We, you, you just, you just, you just gave us an incredible bar of your own, which you got it, you know, you know, I, two turntables and a microphone, you know, somewhere buried in my, uh, in my basement. Do you? Know? you? Oh, you we know? didn't even get to, Oh, you know, break out my, 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 my little cardboard box and tr- have my Ooh. little pathetic midlife, uh, you know, break dancing that will probably break. The thought of break dancing is literally breaking my bones. As a <laughs> so, so now I got to ask you for our listeners, you know, what are your top five songs? And it could be more than five about money. I have. I have a, a few that I, you know, I kind of took from you, but I want to hear, hear, uh, hear your. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really more curious to hear what you, because, you know, all right. So, Jay, Hard Knock Life, mm. Mm. Biggie, Juicy, it was all a dream. Hey, yo, that I, I, I play uh, that I think once a week. My kids are gonna get that. You know, they're gonna have to get that. <laughs> Um, yeah. um, I, I, I would, uh, Nas, you can hate me now. I like that. Okay. One. But, okay. But yeah, I, I decide that's my left out, out of left, left field one. Right. But I think that the two that are head and shoulders, the best for, you know, rap songs about money. I'll, I'll be, I'll be curious if you can beat this, these two uh-huh. locks, money, power, respect. 
and then second, okay, uh, and then Wu Tang. Cream, you got you got to. There's no way. I don't think you get better than Cream. But on your podcast, locks, locks, money, power, yeah. respect. I mean, that is yeah. That's, that's big. I mean, that's big. I mean, I mean, because there's a philosophy, not there's a lifestyle and an and a philosophy behind that one. So I, I think you need need to name a class after that. Um, but so I like that. I mean, I'll tell that. For me, I obviously got to go to your to the fintech beat podcast, right? Um, all about the Benjamins. I mean, that gets that gets me going every time I hear it. Yes. More money, more problems. Ah, yeah. okay, 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 okay. More, um, uh, that's good. Good, good, good. Junior Mafia, get money. Um, you know, and and, and if we're gonna keep it with the Jay Z theme, uh, money ain't a thing. I think that was him and J- Jermaine Dupri. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, you 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 know, it's like 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 strong. The voice is with this one. Yeah, I mean, it's like. It's like that's good, you know. But, but that's a good list. That's yeah, a good list. Yeah, although, yeah. although, I mean, I mean, like when you just as I said, you you start listening to Money Power Respect Man. I mean, like there's, yeah. there's as I said, it's not just the lyricism, it's not just the bars, right? <laughs> but they are, you know, they're uh, they are postmodern philosophers. What can I say? Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be the theme then for 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 this for this show. Money, power, respect, Black History Month. Money, Man. power, respect. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, all, it's all you, all you. So um, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I've taken so much of your time. Uh, Warren Fintech is going to love this. I'm sure our audience, our listeners are going to love this. Um, so, you know, hey, it was I'll my, link there. My pleasure. Shout out to the uh, Warden Fintech podcast universe. Certainly. And 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 and, and oh, I thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm extremely proud of you and all that you're doing. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing some more uh, podcasts to come. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you for joining the Warden Fintech Podcast for our Black History Month episode with Professor Chris Bremer. I absolutely enjoyed it, and I really do hope you did, too. His presentation is certainly powerful. I know we had and mentioned a lot, so I've linked Professor Bremer's details in case you want to keep up with the good professor. Warden Fintech has also partnered with Title to produce a Black History Month playlist having to do with the mentions about money and fintech and crypto in this podcast. So please check that out. Shout out, major shout out to our partners at Tidal for bringing our music to life as they usually do over there. I hope to do more Wharton fintech episodes in the future, but until next time, everyone, cheers.